Good evening and welcome to another episode of Canon Talk. I'm your host, Mona, and my co-host as usual, Aiden. As it, guys? Two very good games for us. You know, it could have gone either way with Aston Villa. But, you know, we, we, we take the three points. You know, going into the game, as I think we discussed the last week, I was really thinking, okay, we had not that close call with, with Watford. <laughs> this time it's going to come, right? This time it's going to be right. But, I mean, the game starts, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, it was like Aston Villa not playing part of the script. They come out, you know, full gango attack at us. And, I mean, at times, Arsenal were, you know, you know just all, uh, clinging on because... You know, we, I think, also started uh, realizing that, that, you know, this is not going to be a walk in the park when Maitland-Niles just hauled down that El Ghazi for, you know, no apparent reason, like, just dragged him down. And I thought, you know, what a cheap... You know, we always complaining about that cheap yellow card to give away. I mean, to give a yellow card like that away, what, after 11 minutes? Yes, yes, a, yes. It was a really a worry. That, that for me, there's also a thing I wanted to pick out as well. I mean, it was a very... Early on, I mean, it, it puts you right back in a lot of pressure to actually, you know, give a booking away like that. And I mean, the opponent sends blood. And I mean, Aston Villa did start like a house on fire at the Emirates. And I, I couldn't believe what was happening. And like, you could see Arsenal, what well, was like a boxer against the ropes in the early stages. I mean, Leno had to pull off quite a good save early on. Like, I think just before that yellow card, actually. And you know, what was also frustrating for me, it was like, it was, I mean, it was like irking me constantly within that first half, like, you know, going through it, is that the slow build-up slow build from Arsenal? Because every time, look, you already know they're coming there to defend. It's not like they're coming, you know, to... to uh, not sorry, not to defend, but we were almost like playing a home game, but we were almost like overcautious. And Villa, you know, were up to, up to task, and they now, you know, were gunning for it, like, against us. And every time it looks like we were now going on the front foot and whatever, we ended up always taking that three or four steps back. So, I'm like, we're making no real progress because, you know, people like, say, Xhaka was slowing the game down when, you know, the motion should have been carrying us forward. We, we don't seem as formidable as uh, at home like we were last season. It's like the first half of games, we very shaky. And there's like second half, we want to kick into the overdrive. And we saw against Spurs, it was a bit too late for that. And then you go away from home again. And then Arsenal start like a house on fire, like we did against Watford. And then second half, we go into the shell, almost in the reverse of what we're doing at home. It's like, we can't seem to get to the right home and away performances at the moment. And then, I mean, on 20 minutes, the breakthrough for uh, Aston Villa, um, with McGinn, you know, uh, poking home a ball from El Ghazi. But <clears throat> again, nobody's alert to the, um, you know, to the danger. Because <clears throat> when they showed a side-on view of it, Gwendozi, one minute, is watching McGinn. Then he turns away to look at El Ghazi, who's, like, you know, positioning himself to cross the ball. The minute he looks away, uh, McGinn is already starting to make a darting run to the back. Colasina just standing motionless, more like as a left back. He doesn't say danger coming or man on or anything like that. He just stands and stares at points. He don't say anything. So, I think David Lewis started picking up what's happening. So, he was... Or like motion for him to <coughs> close the angle down. And I mean, by the time again, just guided the ball past Leno, it was too late. And then uh, Colasina just standing there, you know, shrugging his shoulders. And Luis is all like gesturing to him. was like, I told you, go there with that runner. I mean, uh, was, I, yes. No, go on, carry on, carry on. No, because I mean, you could see, they uh, look, I think 
Guendouzi did pick up that he caused a screw up in a way. But I think other than that, it was not like Colasinos is trying to, you know, help cover the or, or he recover the situation. I think the the, the, the the reason for that goal as well is if you look in Maitland Niles as well, and I think it could have been Pepe as well, there was no urgency to close Al Ghazi for the cross. It's like mm. they were standing off and then our like you know, our line of defense was supposed to be protecting the cross. They kind of tried to rush forward to play with like an offside kind of thing. Then they get caught napping with McGinn just sliding in behind them while they're pushing forward. It doesn't make sense. It's like in reverse. Um Maitland Niles and them are supposed to be closing and squeezing our guys to not be able to whip across like that and then drop a bit deeper the you know that back line but then you mentioned as well Colosinac lovely going forward but it's just his, his, his defensive error is not working at all for us I mean he's, it's error upon error yeah and I mean now um, you know with, with Arsenal now rattled all of a sudden you know the passing started getting, you know, either the passes are too too hard, like you know, for the, the players up front, or the passes were not reaching the, the the players. So, you know, that was the one problem. And the other problem was they they came also the sort of recklessness into the game because Jaka then I think something like thirty eight minutes or yeah thirty five minutes sorry, he ends up like the, one of the guys of Aston Villa, you know, sidesteps him, you know, is about to start running clear. And he blatantly pulled, like, I mean, he's a few feet from the ref, and, you know, he, he tugs the guy back, because he, uh, you could see he was not going to make a recovering run to get the, to the guy. So, the only, like, option for him was not to pull back. So, I was just thinking to myself, don't they do that sort of, you know, that, what they would call the tactical foul? You know, where you just, like, like clumsily bump into somebody. But, I mean, if you, you know, you know stretching your arm out and pull, like, literally pulling the guy back, you're not helping your own cause, you know? What is what example does that set to the rest of your players? I mean, shortly after that, Maitland Niles gets himself in the book for a yellow card, also a reckless challenge. I mean, putting us down to ten men. So I mean, they looked at the captain as well as you know a leader, but this leader is doing something that the teenager should, would do on a soccer field. I mean, I'm sure your kids are even not even will do that on a soccer field to to another player to pull so deliberately. And I mean. It, it, it filters down to the rest of the team. But you know what? I, I also did not understand. I mean, you had some Arsenal fans, you know, like on social media, like, you know, trying to stick up for Maitland. Now, so you can, you know, when you love like, the players that play for the team. But I mean, if you see an error, you call it as that because you can't come stick up for a guy that's doing it because if you're on a yellow, you're already coming. Even though it wasn't maybe, look at that uh, Neil Taylor also kind of exaggerated the contact because, look, both of them ended up smashing shins against each other. But, I mean, the way that uh, Taylor went on, okay, he was now rolling and look, the ref was thinking, yeah, this looks like a kind of reckless tackle. But Maitland Niles was not helping himself because coming in like that and, and when I, I've now looked at that, that, that video clip also over and over, he does flick his foot up and I think by the time he realizes what he's doing, he tries to, you know, withdraw the, the, the leg but I mean, you could see that the, the stats up thing was showing towards his, the opponent. So I had no problem with the, the yellow. I mean, I was annoyed, yes. But I mean, that's what you could see. And I mean, Una Emery didn't even like, you know, want to go check up on him or anything when they now had to carry him off when he hobbled off. <laughs> he did with that, that smashed up uh, shin and he got his marching orders. But as a captain, it's, you know, Granit Shaka, you know, before he dives into the challenge, I mean, you kind of have a word in your players' ears, like those who are on a yellow card. Like, you know, we 
we won all down. Just remain cool, keep your head, keep your head. But like that challenge was needless, and I could tell, see why Emre was probably pissed off about it. I mean, it throws everything out the window. You won all down and a man down. I mean, it didn't look good for me personally. I thought, you know, the way we've been playing with like, character-wise, I thought the game was done. And I mean, then it also did not help our cause when Socrates got himself into a muddle with, with Wesley. <laughs> and made as if Wesley needed him against the head. To this. <laughs> I found it ridiculous, actually embarrassing as an Arsenal fan. The sort of play acting he was doing to, you know, try to get down, almost like the game evened up. And I mean, then, uh, uh, what was it? When Dozy ended up uh, again having a, a petulant stop, he gets a, a warning and a yellow card. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I just don't know how this is going to hold out second half because you already got two guys in that, uh, you know, almost like the defensive midfield, uh, midfield positions where, you know, tackles do go flying in. And if they now, I mean, one is getting himself booked up for a tackle, for talking, and the other one just tugging <laughs> back. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, could we even end up with nine players on the field going into the second half or second half? So that looked very likely, and you know, I, I couldn't see where goal was coming from. I know Saka um, was kind of actually trying to, you know, get us back into the game. He had one good shot that I think went just over, and I thought, you know, this guy needs to probably bring us into the game. And then half time happens, like you mentioned, luckily to go into the break at one nil down. And then Emre makes a bold move, actually. I know we've been on his case a lot with his substitutes. Makes a bold move, taking Saka off, probably our most dangerous player, and bringing on Callum Chambers. But, you know, what I also want to just add with what you said, you know, um, with that half-time uh, going in out of the goal down, you remember when I messaged you still at half-time when I said, <laughs> I don't know how we're going to get back from this? Because... Honestly, like, you know, if you take just that sort of first-off play where there was no cutting edge, there was no drive in the team, you know, to, to surge us going forward. Now, it's already tough like that when we were 11 v 11. Now, we're still 10 v 11. And you still got, like, you know, say key players on yellows. And that's why I, I, I sent you that message where I said, I don't see your way back. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, that being said, I fully agree with you. Emery, you know, took a, you know, uh, big, big decision to now, you know, take off. Uh, Saka and bring on Callum Chambers and you know still the game was still swinging back and fro but then I think for me one of the vital moments in the game was also or we could now get a glimpse of what what was to come was something like I think 58th minute where Gwendozi starts you know almost like dictating the game he's now you know starting to pull all the strings and I think I don't know it could be even from you know with, with conceding that that the goal or being part of it you know conceding he almost like took it upon himself to he almost like tried to right the wrongs. And I mean, look, it all paid off then when he started on this like little waltzing run into the Aston Villa box. And then uh, this uh, defender Engels ended up, uh, you know, bundling him over for, you know, which was a kind of cheap penalty. But I mean, the contact was there. Ref gave the penalty. And uh, what was your uh, your um, opinion with Aubameyang then ending over penalty duties to Pepe? I was happy about it because remember I still mentioned with the Frankfurt game that I was hoping Aubameyang would have passed the ball to Pepe to yeah. um, go and score. But I think he needed that goal too. And I think it lifted his game as well. So it was a very unselfish move by Aubameyang, which benefited the team as well by letting Pepe score and like kind of break the hoodoo, um on his back. 
But I also think Aubameyang knew what he was doing because Pepe scored 10 of his last 11 penalties prior to this penalty he took. So it wasn't like a risk that Aubameyang just ran aimlessly gave him the penalty. He knew Pepe could do it, delivered, and it lifted the game in his game lifted. Because it was almost like Aubameyang was taking that sort of page that that Lacazette did that time. You remember? Yes. We missed the penalty in the North London derby and then we ended up getting, I think, against Man United the penalty. Yeah. And, you know, Aubameyang told him, look, you take it again. Because I think he wanted to actually hand it over to Aubameyang, um, to Lacazette. Uh, you know, back to the game. Uh, on the hour mark, you know, just back now, making it 1-1. <laughs> Aston Villa then, you know... It was 90 seconds. It was literally 90 seconds. You know, Aston Villa end up scoring when Wesley, you know, sneaks in. A, and, you know, guides home. I mean, again, a very, like, very soft goal. Uh, from a Grealish cross and he, you know, just softly guides it, comes between the two defenders. I think David Luiz did not look good in it either. I mean, Kolasinac again caught out because he ended up just, you know, randomly giving the ball away and the ball just came back in our direction again. But I mean, David Luiz totally not alert, not also getting a shout from uh, Kolasinac who had actually a better view of where the runner was coming from. So, you know, steers a, a ball home and I mean, 2-1 Aston Villa and, you know, the, the crowd starts grumbling again and you're thinking, oh man, because I remember with the camera flashed to, to uh, Gwendozi, he was nearly in tears though, he was... Yes, I thought of that exactly now, you know, when you said it now, I did my, my whole visual went to Gwendozi, the, ca- the camera panned onto him. Yeah, so, you know, the crowd now, as I said, grew fr- more frustrated and I think that is where Emery was now also starting to feel the heat somewhat because, you know, there was nothing really coming. And I mean, I think this was, for me, almost like that, that stroke of genius for, for me as like Emery as a coach in the time that we've now seen in this season. Where he brings on uh, Chris Ward, Joe Wardock and uh, Lucas Torreira for Ceballos. And I mean, Xhaka was totally, I think, the, the pace, I think, where we needed the injection, Xhaka wasn't giving it to us. And I think somebody like Ceballos was again hanging almost like too long on the ball, you know? So we needed almost like everything had to be quick to feed, but also quick in movement. And I think that was for me the masterstroke because the minute that that subs happened, even with Villa having eleven against our ten, all of a sudden it looked like we had a man extra because we started dictating and 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 you know the ball was now starting to move, the game was more flowing, and it's like the faster we played, the more Villa hated it. At, at, at some point, I think that three should be our, you know, midfield for some games that um, Quindosi, Willock and Torreira, because they're all quick across the ground and they're strong as well. And I think that's what our midfield needs. I think Xhaka kind of slows the game very much. So, and he doesn't also always track his runners as well. And I mean, it's it like the same way it used to play out when, uh, whether it was Wenger or even Emery, when they now try to inter- kind of integrate um, El Nini to the side where, you know, the, the minute the team was going in, in full flow, the minute that sub gets made and, and somebody like, say, El Nini came in, then the game just slows down completely to, like, you know, pedestrian pace. And that's what you, I don't think you can survive, really, because, you know, if you look at, let's say, Liverpool, you look at, at, at Man City, you look at Barcelona, Madrid, um, you look at uh, even, like, Juventus at times, not always, but at times, the, the quicker they play, you can see the teams do not, like the opponents, hate it. Even if it's a top-of-the-table clash type of thing also, you're playing, you know, one of your top four, top six rivals. The minute that pace, whoever enters it, like, with, with the, the passing movement, and that, they are the ones that only come out tops. And I think that is where we should do it more, because 
the more we try to showboat and you know play this position game where, where it leads to nothing, it's not going to help our cause. So you know, get the ball moving from you know, let it flow from the goalkeeper to the uh, to the defense midfield and then to the forwards. I mean, we got over enough firepower. You can see sometimes, like, you know, Spurs, even, you know, when we upped our game against him in the second half, you could see they were holding on for dear life, like, you know, just begging that they have to blow the final whistle. And if, if Arsenal can just kind of, you know, strike a balance of, you know, putting the team under pressure, trying to bag the goals, and then maybe conserving a bit, um, try to not lose defensive lapses and individual errors for five to ten minutes, and then go back to that of, Kill them to kill the team off because now we're almost chasing game after game after game and you know it's not every time we're gonna get lucky against As- like a Aston Villa where we go ten men down and we're able to you know fight back to make it three two. Yeah. So with the change and 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 you know the whole di- dynamic of the game now swinging in our direction, Callum Chambers in in the eighty first minute shows some you know real tenacity you know trying to push for that equalizer. And you know it actually paid off because he ended up forcing the airing from the from Tyron Mings and and uh, that Neil Taylor and he ended up getting through and you know like with those deft little flick glance the ball past Tom Eaton in the uh, Villago two two. You could see he wanted it. Uh, he wanted it more than anybody in the box. Eh? Like even though the the header was back at him, he fought to get the ball and still to you know have that depth flick. And I might also give Quintosi credit for that vision, like the way he picked the ball up. So Callum Chambers was coming in from the side, from the wing, and we were able to pick him out like that, you know. And that was for me, Quintosi was just pulling the strings and. I actually wanted to put the captain's armband on his arm the way he was just rallying the troops. And I mean, I, with that thing, uh, you know, just seeing the sort of mindset of, of Callum Chambers, what I liked was, or not what I liked, if you just think of it also like from a wider perspective, you know, had it been Maitland Niles, would he have been able to do that? You know, so no. sometimes it looks like he, he also runs out of gas quickly in the game. Because, I mean, Callum Chambers, I think he knows he's almost like playing also for his future. So, whatever, whenever he gets now that game time, he's almost like really upping his game. And I mean, you do see it. I mean, you saw a little, you know, it was quite vague, say, against Eintracht Frankfurt. But I mean, for me, this game, he was also very, very key to everything, the way it was playing out. You know, like, I think he deserves a good run in the team now. Maybe, you know, not like in the bigger games, but, you know, he's, he's been proving himself time in, time out when he's on the field. And you can see the difference between Callum Chambers is on the field, actually. So, maybe even Holding should try get a partnership in, in one of the league, maybe League Cup or Europa League games and see how that fares. Because currently, for me, like you said, Callum Chambers hasn't really set the foot wrong when he's coming to the TV show that he wants to be at the club. Yeah. And I mean, then, you know, and Arsenal were now, you know, pressing on the advantage and almost like the crowd was also now something to pick up because they could also sense something special is happening in this game. And then in the 84th minute after winning a, a, a foul, it was, I mean, kind of quite a clumsy foul by Aston Villa. But, I mean, Aubameyang then steps up and, you know, fantastically bends the ball into the key, uh, the corner with the keeper flat foot three to Arsenal and the stadium went wild. Well, I think one thing that you mentioned to me, I actually went to go look at it, look for it on YouTube that when Aubameyang scores, you see um, Gwendozi like showing, like, you know, keep your head, guys, keep your head now. 
And I mean, what I also I had to laugh and also enjoyed. I don't know if you saw it because if you had a, had a look at that bench camp, the minute that third goal went in, Sebeos was the first to sprint down the touchline along with the rest of the substitutes. And I mean, uh, I think the only, uh, this is also where you can see, you know, what's also happening at the club in a way where you see, uh, like, okay, Ozil applauded in it, but I mean, nothing big was made of it, like from his perspective. perspective. And I think Jaco also just stood up and applauded, but, <coughs> excuse me, but everybody else, you know, even the subs and, and, and some of the, I think one of the coaches also ran over. <coughs> yeah, Sebeos, I think he's starting to, I don't know if, Maybe he's starting to feel at home at Arsenal. Like, he's always been passionate. Maybe that's how he is as a player. He wants to win. But, like, he's really loved by the Arsenal fans. And you don't know, like, if he goes back to Madrid, if he's going to receive the same amount of love and game time. And even, I mean, wages-wise, I think Arsenal, if they probably get Uzel off their books, which looks like it probably could happen, would be able to give Sebayos a wage. Maybe that Madrid wouldn't be interested in really giving. Yeah, but I mean... Three points at the end of the day, and I mean, that was much, much needed points. Because, I mean, I just think to myself, if we had not even dropped now two points at home, you know, you're really chasing a pack. I mean, look, let's be also real, we're not really, you know, watching now Liverpool. And it's now just now, you know, third, fourth, and stuff like that. But I think if we had now fallen off that pace more, you end up when you look at it on the side. Because my mind already, we're not, we, we were like uh, two, one down even, and... and I wouldn't say 2-2 yet, but at 2-1, I was just thinking to myself, now you look at the table on the Monday morning after all the uh, round of fixtures are done, and you think to yourself, they're you sitting 7th, they're you sitting 8th, now you play catch-up just to get to the you know, the 6th the, the or 5th, or whatever, and then after that, then it's again another mountain to climb to get 3rd, 4th in that region again. So, I mean, and Leicester look very dangerous as well in that day. Yeah, because I mean, Rodgers, I think he's doing a hell of a job with, with Leicester City, because all of a sudden you see, I mean, the sort of drive, I mean, I, you know, watching them in that first half against Spurs, I mean, I also didn't think okay, much of it. But that second half, the way they sort of, you know, almost like getting a fire up their backside, probably after the talk that he gave them. So it was also, as you said, now they are quite a strong team. And I mean, with a coach like that, who knows where they can go. Yeah, and I mean, Leicester way will be a very you know, tricky place to go. So, Arsenal can't also let Leicester pull away from them. And like you mentioned as well, teams were dropping points around us. Spurs, Spurs lost, Chelsea lost, and United also lost. And I mean, if we had to throw that opportunity away with us going to Old Trafford, I would have been, like you said, definitely points down the drain. Because I think we're now getting to a part of the season. Look, you just know for a fact, uh, you know, United are going to somehow try to fix this problem they're going through. Chelsea, I heard they, that the Peel thing could be even dropped where they could maybe sign in January still players because they're now still doing some legal appeal with UEFA. And that. <clears throat> so, you know, for them to click, uh, like click into again, and I mean, with Tottenham, it takes one or two results and they, you know, back on that sort of trailing. And I think morale-wise, Tottenham are almost like on a low at the moment. So I just think to myself, us as Arsenal Football Club need to really... You know, kick on now. You know, get that, that sort of, just somehow sort of like breathing space between us and them. I mean, don't care now about what Liverpool or, or City do, because I mean, sometimes City are also, you know, a very iffy season. But I mean, for me at the moment, the two of them are not really my priority. For me, it's just getting, you know, away more from that little pack that's forming behind us in a way. It's weird, actually, before we know we want to the Carabao Cup, our, 
I think this was probably one of the first seasons where, you know, I went in with an honest mindset that, you know, Liverpool and City are in their own league and we now are actually playing for third and fourth. Because in the beginning of a season, I always, you know, have that glimmer of like, you know, we could maybe, but like this season, you actually th- looked at it and was like, you know, third and fourth is what we're playing for. No, I think for me... <laughs> Wait, I think where reality set in for me is when I saw our players sprawling on the field last season at Anfield. I think we the reality check. <sighs> so, but yeah, Carabao Cup uh, third round against Nottingham Forest. You know, I, I put my hand up when I saw our attacking youngsters. I messaged you and I was like, why are we playing these youngsters? We need a more experienced attack. And then, of course, for our listeners or who don't know about some of those, our private chats, um, just a few weeks ago, Aiden also had like this kind of debate about the, the team setup. And then Aiden was complaining because the team was again too defensive. Now the team gets too offensive, then he had a problem with that. So I said, Look, you got to make up your mind, buddy. <laughs> but okay, that being said, our attention now falls to the, that Carabao game. Uh, in goal, Martinez took over, Callum Chambers came in at right back. Uh, Holding and Mustafi were our centre-back pairing, and Kieran Tierney came in at, to make his debut for the first team. Uh, on the bench was, uh, sorry, in midfield was Torreira and Wallach. Uh, Emil Smith-Rowe, Ozil and Nelson were across the midfield as well. And then Martinelli speared, headed our attack. What was your thoughts on the lineup? Like, you know, going back with whatever player would be now a standout for you to watch? Tierney for me. He, he caught my eye, just the way he was bombing down that that flank. And I was thinking to myself, I can't wait to have this guy. But he just seems like the complete player, the way he was taking everybody on. And I'm not going to say he reminds me of Robertson of, of Liverpool, but he has that type of drive and attack. So he will, for me, bring a lot of excitement. And I think he could be a big factor, especially if Aubameyang plays out wide there with him. For me as well, Martinelli also really impressed me. I... You know, in pre-season, I never really got to see much play and I wasn't really also impressed by him, but the guy has space to burn. But the disappointment for me was, you know, Mesut Ozil. I thought, you know, maybe as captain and the most experienced guy, I think the only guy over the age of 27 or something like that, he actually let me down because, you know, I'm rooting for him. I still wanted to make an impact for the club, but it just seemed like he couldn't, you know, give... A damn at the moment. I mean, I mean, just a rundown of the game. I mean, <clears throat> we end up hitting the post in the 10th minute with uh, Nelson. Uh, 26th minute, Mustafi, then, you know, did some audacious little <laughs> act flick. But I mean, that being said, I was going to first kind of get annoyed or curse. But when I saw, when you saw that, the uh, almost like the alternate view from that, that we did the flick, that thing was actually quite close to the crossbar. I mean, I think he, he had to put a bit more dip on that ball. It would have gone in because that keeper didn't expect that sort of attack. And then, I mean, the breakthrough that comes in the 31st minute. Again, fantastic pressure by Arsenal on the uh, Nottingham Forest midfield. They end up, you know, managing to lose the ball. The ball breaks to Reese Nelson, who spreads the ball wide to Callum Chambers. And, I mean, in that in that flow of the game, he just hits the first-time volley cross. And, you know, Martinelli... Jumps between two uh, of the Nottingham Forest centre backs and he managed to dart a bullet hit a pass the keeper in the Forest goal. 1 0 Arsenal. It, it seems like um, 
Callum Chambers is becoming accustomed to that wing-back role for some reason. He's eating in crosses like Roberto Carlos would have been proud of. Because, I mean, that, that was a nice ping-pong ball. I mean, the, I think it was Nelson who hit that ball. And it wasn't the easiest of cross to put in the way he put it in for Martinelli. And, I mean, what I'm also liking, what, what you know said, it's like he does it. He can do a thing where it's like, you know, uh, you know, almost like say chest tight and flat. Or he can hit it like an arcing ball to the far post. Or he can just die, you know, eat a, a short curler to the near post for you to attack. So as you said, now you know he's giving us like different varieties of crosses, and I mean, I'm liking what I'm seeing. I think the Arsenal youngsters, you know, started off that like you know putting pressure on Nottingham Forest, and from what I heard, Nottingham Forest was a very team. If they concede, they concede another immediately. So they did quite well to hold out on the Arsenal pressure to get them to half time, just one all down. The first minute, it was like also, you know, Tierney was, you know, bamboozling Matty Cash. And I mean, he's quite highly rated in the championship for, for like, you know, in defense as a right back. And I mean, he got skinned inside, outside by Tierney constantly. And I mean, in that 41st minute where Tierney beats him with a so fantastic bit of skill, gets the ball across. And I think that was another one kind of sad thing of the first half where uh, Emil Smith Rowe attempted for a header, ended up clashing with the centre-back of Forrest. And I think he, had, he ended up having a slight concussion and had to be subbed at half-time for uh, Saka. There's a pity too like, that Emil Smith-Rao got injured like that because, I mean, he seemed like he was getting into the game very nicely. But, I mean, with Saka coming on, you can see like um, Saka is destined for something great, I think, at the club. I don't want to jinx him, but, you know, he, he actually had to, he just has that X-factor to him. And, I mean, now, 71st minute, Again, what we were saying in the previous match, turning point in the game, Mr. Ozil comes off, hands over the captaincy to Rob Holding. And I mean, with, with Ozil coming off, the team then started becoming more attack mind Because all of a sudden, the same way that that Villa game changed in our favour, even though, look, this was still a tight game <clears throat> at times, in the, like with the Forest uh, team, the minute... Ozil came off because, I mean, uh, uh, Ballerin then came on and was the other sub that came on also? Uh, that, roughly that, that period, you remember? Yeah, uh, but... Uh, it, it, was Ballerin and it was... Oh, I, I slipped my mind now as well. Yeah, but okay. That being said, they come on and, of course, the team starts, you know, with a more flowing, more attacking style of play. And then, I mean, within, what's it, 30 seconds after the substitution... Ball gets floated over by Reese Nelson and Rob Holden nods a free at home. 2 no Arsenal. It was a very good touch. I don't know if you saw on Instagram, or I think it was Instagram or Facebook, where Alan Ramsey actually commented on the fact that it was nice to see Rob Holden on the pitch and scoring. So you can still see that the guy is Arsenal through and through. But I think, you know, Rob Holden should be... Um, in that first eleven, either next to Socrates or Louise, because the two guys are like the keys they were cuffs next to each other. Oh yeah, I just had a look now. It was Sebayos that came on for Urzel and then Ballerin came off and uh, Ballerin came on for TNN. That was the substitutions. And then shifting shifting um Callum Chambers to left back, which he, he slotted even even better to then right back. And then in the seventy seventh minute, uh Willock it scores a fantastic goal because I mean, the, I mean for for look the, the attendance is normally not that great on Europa League or even Carabao Cup nights, but I mean that whole place erupted because just the, the way you know the corner gets floated over, 
Bellerin tries to have a pop at goal, ends up smashing one of the Forest players. Ball breaks to Mustafi, who, you know, like with twinkle toes, plays <laughs> perfect little pass to Bellerin, who just whips in a 45 and Warlock just steps in. Fantastic goal. Great work. Uh, it just shows what the likes of Tierney and Bellerin could be adding, you know, the future for Arsenal in the next maybe two games. And I'm not sure if they would start now against United coming up on Monday, but the two of them have pace to burn and they could actually be putting the attacking team, I mean, the opposition more defensively, even if they have, you know, attacking wingbacks or attacking wingers. Another thing I want to add as well, I don't want to compare us to Liverpool, but the fact when you take Ozil and um, Chaka out the team, you kind of have a team that can, you know, play a pressing game and and can, you know, have a lot of speed on the field, getting around places where Uzel and Jaka don't give you that on the field. So, like when you mentioned Uzel coming off, game changes with like pacey wise. And then eighty uh, fourth minute, Callum Chambers, you know, was playing a blinder all night. Uh, gets the ball on the left, you know, perfect little ball with a left foot. And I mean, he's not really known for hitting passes or crosses with a left foot. Gets. Reese Nelson who then just guides the ball and pass the keeper for no Arsenal. It was a real blitz of goals. Eh? Like I mean, from one from one moment from being one nil uh, one nil up to you know blitzing into a four nil. I think it's the kind of result we the the premier would say our strongest eleven actually needed because to get our confidence up to a better team. And then on just about the ninetieth minute, some tenacious work by Martinelli. You know, gets he gets him past the uh, forest midfield. He then just glances up once, sees where the keeper was somewhat off his line, and then ends up beating a bender to the top corner, which I think just flicked off Saka's I think shoulder or elbow, and it just looped into the top corner. Five 0 Arsenal, and a date with Liverpool at Anfield. <laughs> Unfortunately, but one thing I must admit about these youngsters is that they can slot into the starting eleven. I mean, we've never seen it. Really, you know, near the end of the Wenger reign where the guys who play the Carabao Cup just play in the Carabao Cup and Europa League. But, I mean, you can give Martinelli a slot alongside Pepe and Lacazette and Aubameyang. Like, you know, you could replace either one of them and he could do a job. You can do that with Saka. So, it's good to see that we have players that, you know, are knocking on the first 11 door, on 11 door and there's no complacency that can sit in with the main guys. You know, what only annoyed me really with... with um... The whole like over the two uh, two days of, of league cup results, um, you know everybody was just going on something like you know it's just forest it's just forest like you know I'm, I'm talking of rival fans, and then you look that like Tottenham got dumped out by Colchester <laughs> League Two side, nothing really was you know go, it's more like just you know poor Tottenham poor this and whatever, yeah? and then you had Rochdale, uh, you know just losing on penalties to Man United. Again, not a big deal is made, even though that that uh, Rochdale gave United a, you know a game, like you know really pushed them also all the way, not like the one way traffic, and then also who was one of the other teams that also got West Ham got hammered by um, Oxford City four nil, and I think Liverpool got the result, but they only won two nil against MK Dons. Yeah, so you know you you see that sort of media thing and. And if you think with, with Nottingham Forest, it's not like they are mugs in the championship because if they win, I think their game tonight, they go second in, in the championship. 
And I mean, they, they were still also, they haven't lost also for a while. And, and you know, the sort of run that they were going on. So, I mean, for me, it was, we always like stopped them from playing their national game because um, from what I've listened to other, like, you know, pundits and that they were talking with, with regards to Nottingham Forest in the championship, they have been quite an attacking team, but they said we did not, because I found it also strange in a way. You did not see that, because I was expecting a, a, how would I say, a bigger challenge from them. You know, knowing that, you know, where they place now in the league, in their league and that. But I mean, we, almost like our midfield also did not allow them to get in, you know, too much of the, say, the, we, you know, we broke up play quicker. We also had them more on the back foot. The minute our keeper or the ball would be in our off, we'd see that the ball was already traveling to theirs. So, you know, it was like they were doing a lot of running because I think at the end it was like watching Walking Dead extras because none <laughs> of the, their legs were like gone already, I think, with five or ten minutes to go. They were done physically. Mustafi and Martinez, you know, clean sheet, the combination, you know, is it the coincidence or is it just the class of the two of them combining together? I had to laugh at that tweet of, of Mustafi when they said something like, uh, you know, it's another, another clean sheet with Mustafi in the team and he goes, sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, because everybody always blames him, but I don't know. It, it, uh, even Rob Holding seemed to have done a, a decent job at the back together. Maybe he Rob Holding's composure compensates for Mustafi's madness all over where he just sometimes um, lunges into and into tackles and things like that. But I, mean, I don't think Socrates and Luis should yeah. keep their places. I think if, if their performances keep on going like this, something needs to be done. Because I think it, it could also work if you have, say, Holding with uh, almost like either or, like either Mustafi or uh, uh, Mustafi or David Luiz or Socrates, you could do something like that. But as someone like as you said, though, that Keystone Cops comment, if you put that Mustafi, uh, sorry, Mustafi, Socrates and David Luiz together, I think that is where that problem will arise because none of them really look on top of the game when, when like also with picking up people, yeah. I don't know, you always see, like, now with that score, since we played with that combination in the league so long, like, for this uh, few matches, they're always, like, they're not watching, like, who's behind them. or So, it's like they get too, too casual and they end up losing the ball or being caught in position, stuff like that. Whereas, I think with, with holding now in that defense or maybe Mustafa and holding the way they've been playing, they're almost, like, alerting each other, look, this one is making a run there or, you know, stuff like that. So, maybe that's an option to look at as well. Because Rob Holding, remember last season, Rob Holding was the fixture in that centre-back where and Socrates, Mustafi and Co were almost playing around him until he got injured and obviously he had to sit out. But And that's when the bad results started coming, if you look at it. Because when Rob Holding was playing, he was a big part of that unbeaten run we did last season. So maybe he deserves a, a shot back in the starting eleven. Okay, so now we switch our attention to the Monday night game against Man United at Old Trafford. Um, it's, you know, it could be a Titanic game either way. But, you know, that being said, uh, United have massive injury problems. I mean, look, uh, Rashford is already going to be out for, I think, quite a few weeks with that uh, groin strain that he has. Um, Martial, uh, even Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is not really sure if... He's going to be fit for the game. I mean, look, I think it's something like he's going to be in a situation now where he's, he could now think to himself, he probably will have to throw in a player like, like say, Martial with, uh, say, 70% fitness. 
with that risk of you know uh, longer term you know out and then of course you have Pogba the uh, you know, said he in that uh, Rochdale game he ended up getting a badly bruised ankle which you know was really swollen up so they're not sure whether or not to take that risk and you know let him play but he said that he must probably I think Solskjaer said he must still ask the team doctors also what the assessment is of him because look it's going to be a physical game and I mean if imagine he now goes in like say 50-50 with say a uh, if Xhaka plays or Gwendozi, they get stuck into him. If they know now, you know, he's got the dodgy ankle. And it also comes down to Solskjaer making a choice. Does, does, you know, could he get fired if he loses this game? So does he risk Pogba who could get injured for a long-term injury and he misses, you know, a big chunk of the season? Or, you know, Solskjaer is very up in the air with his future. I know they haven't said that he's going to get sacked or the sack is calling, but... You know, the, the players, again, at United, seem to be not playing for him. But that being said, you know Arsenal, the moment they go to Old Trafford in the Premier League, uh, suddenly, like, United are playing like the old United under Alex Ferguson again. Yeah, they're always up in the game. Because for me, it was always, like, when I used to see, say, under Herrera, back in the day when he was, like, playing from there, I'm thinking to myself, OK, he's in there, so we can still dominate. And then he ends up dominating us and... That weirdo, what's his name, Jesse Lingard, when he comes in and he does his whatever moonwalk stuff, and he ends up get, becoming like some sort of messy in that team, and we end up looking like mugs home or away. Yeah, I just, I just hope that we, we, we can dominate the game, you know, start strong and kind of put United under pressure because they are already coming into the game, feeling the pinch a bit, yeah. you know, drawing to Rochdale and then almost. Um, they, they lost to West Ham. I mean, if Arsenal put them to the sword, it's almost like, you know, they fall further behind in the pack. Mm. And Arsenal, you know, gets confidence and they can push on. So it's, it's, it's going to be a very tough affair. But if Arsenal can, you know, get it right and be consistent, as, uh, we, we, we could possibly take the three points. Yeah, because, look, United are there for the taking. Because at the moment, they look... <clears throat> I mean, I've now watched... You know, a real chunk of the games because I mean, you know for yourself, I'm somebody. You know, I'm not really gonna sit and watch the United game, but when I know they're there for the taking, then I will sit and watch. And you know, more often than not, like say, especially this season, you do see that little chink in their their, their defense. So even with you know Maguire and Wan Bissaka and that in their, their squad, they they do look vulnerable. So you know, <coughs> if the taking, so I just hope we now you know go full blast at them. Don't play like, you know, too attacking, play clever. Because I think that is the way we're going to overcome a, a win there at Old Trafford. Our pace can add the ability to our team as well. I'm sh- if Emre picks the correct midfield, which I'm hoping that he, he picks, you know, guys who can get the cover the ground very quickly. I mean, um, I don't know if by him playing to Herrera in the League Cup means he's going to be sitting out against United. I think that is wrong. I think Torreira should be in the starting eleven. With possibly Warlock and Gwendozi in the in the midfield three, but Emery probably has other plans to what I have. Yeah, because that's now also that leads us to that, that talking point of man. Because uh, as of today, it's now been known that that Kranjaka now becomes the first team captain, like the permanent captain, with Aubameyang as vice captain. But I mean, you can see just by you know going on Twitter or, or you know listening also to pundits on TV. I mean, it's, it's not really a popular choice. But but why like what 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 actually 
warranted that decision was it because he was one of the like you know longer players, not longer like compared to the Paladins and stuff, but like what is his reasoning for it? Because I, I, it doesn't make sense because now you forced almost sure on him in the team in which he he doesn't really fit, but now you're gonna have to play him and. At the moment, Xhaka is taking a lot of criticism. And yes, he is maybe not playing the best of games, but it's not his fault as well because he's not selecting himself to be put in the starting eleven. because if he maybe gets two, three games out under the out of the limelight, he can work on his game. But now Emre is almost putting him in time after time after time after time. And now we all, you know, getting annoyed with Xhaka. Well, from what Emre said, it was a player's vote. So they... Yeah, a player's vote. He had the, the, it was like the election, and they could now vote who they want as the captain, vice captain, and whatever, so on and so on. Maybe so, we did something in the background. We don't know what's happening, you know, why they voted him captain. Because, uh, I mean, more often than not, captains get sold, isn't it? Ah, <laughs> oh, good one. Maybe, maybe, eh? maybe, maybe we're going for that. Maybe the Arsenal players thought of that and did their research and were thinking, you know, that's the best way to get him out the club. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I'm gonna wrap up the podcast now. I hope you guys all have a fantastic weekend. I hope we get the positive result we needed because I mean, it's been a while since we now gone there and come away with three points. Still traffic. So come on, you Gunners. Let's go, Gunners. <laughs>